0: The following episode is brought to you by the generous donations of Laura Pickren, Daryl Delaney, Darren Katzka, Devious Pop-Tart, Irene Viarito, Ryan Royce, Andy Dossett, Danielle Bramhall-Smith, Elizabeth Clark, Eric Whitman, Jessica Smith, Charles Compton, Natasha Rowlerson, Richard Cree, The Cam Family, David Scrams, Dustin Troop, Edvarth Arnoff, Michael Clark, Rebecca Miller, and Shelby Johnson as well as all of our generous patrons. D20
1: Radio, where gamers roll.
2: www.d20radio.com. Oh. to Eberron Renewed, an actual play RPG podcast using the Eberron campaign setting and the Genesis game mechanics. Uh, I'm Jeff. I'm Philip. I'm Trevor.
3: Trevor. I'm Randy.
2: And I'm Eric. And since I'm the one introducing, you probably have already figured out that this is an Eberron Reviewed episode where the five of us go and take a look at the last arc and answer some questions from our patrons. Uh, Before we get to the questions... Quick recap of the arc. All of you guys feel free to jump in when you would like to. <laughs> Philip, you want to start? What happened to the very beginning of the arc thing?
4: <laughs> Vigo was the worst. Yeah, Vigo, Vigo <laughs> is bad. Um,
2: yeah, Vigo shows up. We find out he's our new handler. He does not have good people skills. He threatens Eris uh, and gives us a job. It's true. And that job had, like, six parts, and I honestly only really can speak to the one that I did. So why don't each of us (laughs) say what our job on the con was and who we took with us? Um, if, If you guys want to start.
4: Eris had to hack a display machine, holographic display machine, so that it would continue to display an image even after the item it was displaying had been removed.
3: While and Milo, she went with is, Milo, yes, and Milo assisted with his absolute ineptitude at finding the documents he was looking for. So Eris had to find those books. Two. And Posey came in for a visit.
4: It's true. It's true. We once again saw Posey, and once again did not get her name.
3: Did not, <laughs> but we did flatter her a little bit, as she thought she had recognized us. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The rawer game.
1: That's right, <laughs> Trevor. Trevor, what was your job? Uh th- the job was to um, s- sneak into a not sneak. I guess we went to a party. <laughs> we didn't have to sneak into it. <laughs> um, but we were trying to. It was. Um, Sana and I were trying to um, obtain. A uh, an object from a very important person.
2: Yeah, and then um, Cath <clears throat> and Sigil and Hob were in charge of moving the thing that needed to look like it hadn't moved. Uh, essentially, there was a g- retinue of guards surrounding the. I pictured it in my head as almost like a like an airstream trailer. I don't know why that worked for me because <laughs> it was it's, yeah. it's something enclosed and lockable that you can strap onto the back of a vehicle. And, uh, yeah, so the, the the object was in there and the projection was coming from there. And so it was me, Kath and Sigil's job to get the truck moving and get out of there. And that's why it took so long (laughs) because it was our job. (laughs) So, yeah. And Eric, we'll go ahead and jump a little bit into, uh, a question or two really Darren and Kurt both asked very similar questions Darren asked are you deliberately pulling mechanics uh, such as flashbacks and just choose your approach without doing the planning from blades in the dark or are these concepts part of Genesis Kurt says hey Eric sounds like you might have borrowed from other RPGs in this arc perhaps certain forged in the dark game how does that work could you explain what you kept and what you left out Um, I figured it might be important before we discuss how we how we played this to know what the parameters were so I'm going to talk a little bit about what you changed for us in this arc
0: yeah, early on when the concept of this campaign was announced, uh, Blades in the Dark was a system that a lot of people were asking if we were going to be using because it, it's it's all about uh, criminals and gangs and um, it, it honestly fits this campaign concept rather well. And I had zero exposure to that system prior to deciding that we were going to be doing Genesis and coming up with this campaign concept. So I started reading through the core rulebook for Blades in the Dark once a lot of people brought it to my attention, and there are some really cool concepts in there. And so I pulled the um, the flashback style concept uh, to t- try and streamline a, a high style job from there. I'm still looking through it, seeing what other things I would like to pilfer uh, from the system and bring it in. But no, there there isn't really to address Darren's question more head on. Uh, th- this isn't a concept found in Genesis. I know it's something that game masters in Genesis have used before. Uh, I don't know if they stole it from Blades in the Dark, but I have heard about this concept prior to learning about Blades in the Dark from other Genesis GMs. So, um, But yeah, so there's some concepts surrounding the flashback mechanic that are very specific to the Blades in the Dark system that I didn't bring over And I'm still trying to figure out exactly how to make it work well in Genesis. But, yeah, so primarily just what we brought over was the concept of doing flashbacks during a job and left most of the mechanical explanations of that in Blades in the Dark
2: specifically uh, out. So, yeah. Um, And I'll be honest, I don't think, I know that I didn't take advantage of the flashback idea nearly as much as I could or should have in this arc, and I... I hope we get another chance because I, I know we don't talk about campaign one now for fear, but when we did a similar idea with flashbacks to plan in campaign one, I think we all hit the mark a little more on using those. And it was a very fun arc and I, I wish that I'd use more of it. I'll say that for sure.
4: Yeah. I think I was over reluctant to give up story points for the flashbacks um, Mm -hmm. because we use those so much on our actual primary roles Um, that I was, I think I was more concerned with saving them for people pulling off their heroic abilities and bumping up our roles. Uh, and I think that made me reluctant, uh, to use it. Um, but yes, I, I also liked, I also liked the concept a lot and wish we had used it more.
2: Okay. So yeah, let's talk about what, uh, what we did to accomplish our goals. Each of us can do the same kind of like we did with describing what our job was, um, And then we'll hit the button with Vigo that I'm sure everybody wants to hear more about. uh, And then we'll get to the rest of the questions. So Hob and Kath and Sigil decide the best way to do this is with a diversionary tactic, a distraction. Um, It's not great that it ends up being two giant people picking on a small warforged, but that's the one that was going to work, you know? Yeah. Um, And... Eric, at what point did you decide that the guards were also a war force? Was it when we decided to take sigil with us or when we decided on this plan? I can't recall. You rolled a bunch of
0: threat on the roll to make the distraction. And that's when the decision was made. Oh, that it makes was sense. a result of your
2: threat. That makes a lot of sense. Then, um, the fight is honestly not particularly noteworthy. It's, I mean, it's a lot of fighting. It was fun to narrate in the moment, but nothing amazing happened. Um, really afterwards when we were all trying to get that stinking truck to run was when we started getting into some real Keystone cops BS. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we used, we used Sigil as a decoy almost. So they could kind of get closer to the thing they were going to be hacking essentially. Um, <laughs> and it was what I'm learning now with, I don't know if it is more with Genesis <clears throat> than with D D. It might just be the circumstances of our campaign so far. But the best laid plans just absolutely don't matter. And I know that happens in D&D as well, but I feel like that our whenever we took the time to plan something, it tended to work out a little better when we were playing <laughs> D&D than now. But boy, it, I guess eventually it worked and that's all that really
4: matters. I don't remember that being true in d and <laughs> <laughs> I
0: think, well, and I, I will say, I think part of that, one like function of Genesis, this isn't a bug or a defect. It is absolutely a function of it. Is so much more is taken out of the GM's hands in terms of moments like that because if it's D anD I'm setting the DC that you have to pass behind the screen, mm-hmm. and so if you all roll six times in a row and you roll under five. And then on the seventh roll, you all roll at eight. I can be like, yes, the DC was eight. Fine, we're moving on. <laughs> but with Genesis, you establish the difficulty through the dice, mm-hmm. and then you roll, and you pass or fail. Right. And and so it's a lot more difficult for a game master to make those calls to keep things moving when it ceases to be fun, I right. guess, if for, and, for the
2: type of DM that would make that kind of call. And I guess also just the idea that... It's it is an arbitrarily set number in the first place. You don't even have to lower it. It could be like if we're role playing. Well, you could set it low because we push some hurdles out of the way with good role play, and that just doesn't exist in Genesis. No, mean everything is mechanical. I guess is the big difference. Because even like getting extra dice or advantage or anything like that, if you don't have a boost die or if you don't have advantage to pass a boost die to somebody, you're not going to get.
4: Well, that's that's not necessarily true. Eric could. I mean. There are, there are I'm not. This feels weird. I feel like I'm Monday morning quarterbacking you, but I'm just trying to think right now. What could you do in the moment? And you could. Okay, well, uh, you. I mean, you role played really well, so I give you an automatic upgrade or a boost die or something like that. Or yeah. you've tried six times now. You've ruled out some things. So here's yeah. a boost die. Sure. I mean, so the GM has some levers to pull, but. The issue is it's all, it's all there on the table. And so the GM can't just go, all right, let's, you're good. <laughs>
2: right. Sure. You did it. Good job. Um, Listen, if I want to yeah. know why I'm wrong, go to the discord. Okay. Philip? <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, you're not wrong. There's <laughs> more,
2: um, but yeah, so that's, that's the ob- whole thing.
4: Next. Um, I mean, Eris and Milo dress up as uh, maintenance workers and successfully infiltrate uh, into the... We dismissed some guys on a lunch break because that's one thing we used a flashback for was that we had worked out their schedule. And so we're giving a couple, um, whoever the maintenance dudes are in the room, uh, a lunch break. And it's mostly just the two of us failing a few times and then pulling it (laughs) off. Um, except for the interlude in which we are interrupted by Posey and we were told the name of the dude she came in with but I don't remember it I'm sure
2: we did get his name and we didn't get
0: I'm almost
4: certain we got his name he said
0: the two guys names that you dismissed
4: maybe that's that's Greg and Fred or something like that maybe that's what I'm thinking of anyway uh, a dude came in Trying to hit on Posey uh, And we were uh, Unhelpful uh, In that (laughs) endeavor to say the least
0: Well and Eris was Exposed directly for the first time To Milo's heroic ability Yes that's true
4: Milo Started talking to his wife um, In the midst of this Um, And and Eris was confused
3: Yeah, and she had some information that Milo has no idea how she would know that the runes were backwards, work from mm-hmm. the other side. So he's a bit puzzled because she seems to know things that he has no idea how she would know these things.
2: Yeah, that was that was a really interesting wrinkle. Like Kylie knowing things Kylie would know and passing them off to Milo was one thing. Kylie gaining knowledge in the afterlife, whatever it is, and being able to pass new stuff on to Milo is a whole different level of perspicacity. There's a, it's a,
4: (laughs) and (laughs) then some interesting y'all's adventure. I was going to say, most of the action was upstairs. Yeah. Trevor, tell us about (laughs) your party.
1: Uh, Well, it went okay, and then it didn't. And then <laughs> um, it got a little better, and then it got weird, and then it went bad. <laughs>
0: um, and then, and then you kissed Norson, and then. <laughs>
4: yep. Eberron reviewed. Eberron renewed. Summed up. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, Trevor, we... do you
1: remember?
2: What yeah.
1: Happened? <laughs> was, were you here? <laughs> I was giving a summary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's using my descriptive words um <laughs> but the, the important thing is we succeeded uh we uh through trial and error and some uh suspect choices like yelling to get the get arrested basically <laughs> um to distract from uh norson doing whatever he was going to do with reynard um and then uh who, i I do forget who ended up coming to the to the rescue. Was it Reynard again just smooth talking with the police Definitely. or with the the guards uh
0: yeah you you basically told them that you had his drink that was oh, what yeah, you were shouting yeah, yeah, about, yeah, and yeah. they knocked it out of your hand when they went to go arrest you,
1: yes, so. so. It was all that charm, really. Mm hmm. Saved a day. That
0: is kind of Reynard's MO.
1: <laughs>
2: so we all succeed. We all make it back to the four sales. Uh, v goes there by himself after hours eating something. Olfen's there. Huh? Olfen's there. Well, Somebody sure. had to cook the food. <clears throat> I mean, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we give him the stuff and he gives us the money um and then i try to have a civil conversation with him (laughs) and he threatens to kill me uh no uh we just summed it up again in the review that that uh just dropped yesterday (laughs) but uh as they were recording this but um basically the, the point was Hob trying to say listen man don't kill our vibe over here and please don't threaten people I care about because I can't I Hob never said because I can't abide that for too long but uh and Vigo's just not interested in being spoken to with any sort of he doesn't want to be questioned and I guess he felt questioned I'm I'm putting this on Vigo but I don't care because I don't like him well, and the one important
0: aspect of what you said was we could walk away at any time like that was one wrinkle of of Vigo that he latched onto in his response yeah
2: and I really think that I think I don't think Eric thinks this way in conversations, but I think there's a little bit Eric that thought he might have been checkmating me with listing off all these things that the clan the the the, the, the clan does for us. It's like, well yeah you, you don't do that out of the goodness of your heart you do it because we work for you and we could all survive without it maybe not here but somewhere like, the only person that the only person whose power comes from being close to Sharn in this situation is Vigo. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. But yeah, it really I, somebody mentioned it in the discord and I absolutely when he said I could have you killed in an hour, like some phrase like who needs an hour or something like that absolutely crossed my mind. But Hobbs smarter than I am and would know better than to say that. Um, and then we get to go to another party. In the downtime episode. ABL else have anything about the, the main the main arc that I didn't bring up? Don't think so. Okay, let's do a couple of questions um, that happened during the run of the arc. So Irene asked, do you find any downside or warnings to the flashback mechanics in a heist? I'm sure if I thought about it, I could think of some downsides, but I really <clears throat> like it.
4: Uh, mostly just we didn't use it enough. Yeah, yeah um, sure, sure, sure. I think that's was the main thing is we just we were more cautious than we probably needed to be with using it.
0: Well, and I think, um, I think maybe the, the cost of a story point may be a bit too prohibitive if it were like to strain, like it was mm. almost like casting a that's, spell. That's a thought. And yeah. that, that might make it a bit more accessible. Um, yeah, I agree with that. It, it, it would just, the, the reason I didn't go with that initially is cause it, it hits certain people harder than others because Milo's strain is a lot more of a valuable currency than Hobbs because Milo has to cast spells as well in order to be effective. So that's, that's kind of was the two sides of me going back and forth between using strain
2: and using story points. But Mm. uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep tweaking it. And as we move forward. All right. Randy, Laura wants to know how long had keg bottoms been around for 76 years. Okay.
3: Started by his grandfather. His grandfather, Hogan. And then when he retired, his son, Olam. And then when Olam passed with a heart attack, Milo took over. Until it burned. Until somebody burned it down.
4: There you go. There you go. We (laughs) don't need that passive passive voice.
2: voice. (laughs) (laughs) So you said, what, 70 what? 76 years. 76 years. That's, I didn't. I didn't expect that. Pretty cool.
3: You know, it's, um, also, it's been in the family. Started started by his grandfather.
2: I feel like maybe you mentioned growing up at it once. Yeah. When we were talking about it. Now I think about it. So, yeah. Um, okay. Also, Randy, Richard would like to know, does Milo frequently have moments of depressed imbibing or was he partially and purposefully avoiding Reynard and his solitude and allowed his thoughts to wander to the past? Um,
3: I would say that he wasn't necessarily avoiding Reynard. I would think that possibly earlier he had been sitting with Reynard, and then at some point he just went over and joined Hobb, and mostly that's because he's known Hobb the longest. He values what Hobb has to say. And he wanted to get Hobb's thoughts on reopening, rebuilding keg bottoms. And then while Hobb was off getting food, then Milo's thoughts just kind of wandered. I would say it, typically if Milo gets depressed like that, it's probably typically in the morning when he wakes up, maybe at night when he goes to bed. So it, I wouldn't say that it was just, it's a, I wouldn't say it's a normal occurrence.
2: Okay, Danny has a question for Eric. How extensive is Sana's wardrobe? Does (laughs) she have a few really opulent outfits or a larger amount of flashy yet mid-range, mid-grade, pardon me, pieces?
0: Uh, Sana actually, unlike Kath, this is one very big distinguishing factor between them. Uh, Sana finds a lot of utility in expressing herself through her clothing. And so she does dress much more flashy, even her more, uh, utility style clothing. Um, like her light armor and stuff, she would wear on a job is still very, some might say loud, expressive, very bright colors. Um, they aren't, they aren't expensive, I guess. Like she doesn't have like 12 glamor weave dresses or something, because while she does come from a considerable amount of wealth, uh, her and Kath, intentionally left, didn't leave their family behind, obviously, but left the support, the financial support of their family behind in order to make sure that they could uh, exist on their own. And so, yeah, Asana spends a fair amount of her her income on clothing, but she doesn't take money from her family to buy really expensive clothes. So,
2: Yep. So okay, this is this might be a dumb question. Uh, this is from Jeff. Um, he didn't put it in the Discord,
4: <laughs> but well, can't take it then. It's too late. Yeah, I yeah. missed right. the cutoff.
2: <clears throat> no. Um. So this, Kath and Sona very publicly work work as crime doers for the Boromar clan. They're mm-hmm. also very publicly the children of public people. Are Kath and Sona's mom and dads? so above this clan stuff because of their status, that it's not even a concern that people know who their family is and things like that. Cause you mentioned, I mean, even Boromar, uh, even stayed in Boromar's home is not nearly t- on the level of their parents. Yeah. So, so it's, it's something that we haven't really addressed a whole lot, whole lot
0: of, but like the Boromar family and the concept of the Boromar clan is known throughout Sharn. And so somebody could say that they work for the Boromar family. And, you know, people might assume that they commit crimes, but it's not a guaranteed thing. And we haven't really delved a whole lot into it because the one unity dinner downtime we had, we got to the party with like five minutes left in the episode. <laughs> but um, I'll just go ahead and say, because I kind of intended for that to come up. Their parents really don't have a huge understanding of what they do. And and uh, it's it's just very much like, oh, yeah, we work down in, in this district with like casinos and restaurants and we just do odd jobs around there and, and hop from job to job. And so that kind of half truth of we're freelancers and then they don't elaborate anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, but as far as your mother knows, you're little Johnny <laughs> Nicely or whatever. it was. <laughs> <laughs> So. So, yeah, their their families aren't largely aware of what they get up to. And I mean. Once again, it's just the the diff the differing news cycles on different levels of the city. In your part of the city, sure, yeah, people probably see Son and Kath and go, "Oh, those are a couple of Boromar people." But up in their family's part of town, that's not going to be common knowledge. Like, they're not going to know who Boromar's people are and who aren't.
2: So, yeah. All right. Um. More from Danny. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for the question, Jeff. I don't think that I do not encourage that guy. All right, Trevor. Danny asks, how does Reynard reciprocate reciprocate in his relationship with Kipling? Does he have a favorite low-budget, high-class way of hosting fancy coffee or something? Or does he not reciprocate these little favors he pulls and is slowly burning out his bridge and contacts with the upper crust world by being all take and no give?
4: Ooh, that is I feel like you might question. not be able to
2: answer the second part. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that, that might be an Eric question.
1: Well... I would say there is a lot more take than there is give. (laughs) Um,
4: You mooch. (laughs) uh,
1: But I I would say probably uh, smoothing things over by being like, I have tickets to a show this weekend. You're going with me. You know, just more like small gestures like that to kind of keep it more like, yes, welcome to our friendship. It happens. Um, rather than like, <laughs> here's a big favor in return for what you did for me. <laughs> right. Okay. Richard asks when Reynard rolled the despair
2: and triumph, given that Eric did not reveal the effects of the despair right away, could Reynard had used the triumph to declare himself immune to the despair's effects, at least for a round or two. In other words, I feel like if Eric had mentioned that the despair was Norsen being at the party, the triumph could have been that he didn't recognize Reynard, given all the chaos going on in the lab during that job. or would that have counted as nullifying the spirit of the despair and so would not have been allowed?
0: Yeah. I mean, not to give just too short of an answer, but the whole threat of Norsen being at the party is that he's going to see Reynard. Like there's, if, if it's a guarantee that Norsen doesn't recognize Reynard, then there's no threat of Norsen being there. So I would have said that, no, that, that kind of offsets the despair through a triumph. And so, yeah.
4: Did we am I remembering this right? Did we use a Triumph to slow down his noticing Reynard? Like to buy yeah. time, I think. From um, him
0: getting over there, he got distracted yeah. by Kipling for a while. That's so so yeah. Yeah. And so that's totally fine. It, and it it kind of goes with what Richard's saying of offsetting it for a round or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine. But something like Norsen doesn't recognize Reynard would have taken taken the punch out of the despair.
1: So yeah. I believe that like, was I also think be my totally... second triumph and despair that I rolled. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Think <laughs> that's
0: true. Yeah. It is <laughs> true. The dice were wild in
2: this arc. They really were. Yeah,
1: but
0: much...
2: but wild in both directions. Unlike mm-hmm. the train job, where yeah. they were just wild. Yeah. 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 And much like uh, much like in the last campaign, where we rolled a natural twenty and then a natural one in close succession, we didn't use one to nullify the other, either direction. So yeah. Just it's more fun to. Augment than to cancel out or nullify. Him. Yeah. Okay. Laura asks, "Are you ready to turn Vigo into the campaign's big bad evil guy after him threatening our beloved heiress? So and directing every listener's uncontrollable rage at him? She was quickly. Um, I
4: feel. I feel bad that the threat to Hob is not like. <laughs> oh,
2: uh, Laura doesn't care about my characters. Never has. Oh, never. Right. That's <laughs> right. I, I
4: forget. Um. Maybe it's that no. no one thinks Hob is actually in danger from Vigo. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. Um, yeah, I, I, I will say that Laura was disabused of
2: this every listener's uncontrollable rage pretty quickly. We were like, I mean, he's a bad guy. He
4: said bad stuff. I don't know.
2: I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Uh,
4: yeah, Vigo had his
0: partisans. Yeah, and some listeners were like, yeah, you, you don't talk to your mob boss that way. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Which I will maintain that Hobb did nothing wrong.
4: Uh, well, I'm sure. I think know. Hob was way more insubordinate than, than Eris. <laughs> Quite frankly, <laughs> Eris said, "I hear you just fine." <laughs> anyway, so Eric,
2: <laughs> I guess the <laughs> uh, I would argue the the reduced episode that came out after this question was asked um, probably answers a lot of that question.
0: <laughs> I mean, that I all I will say is this the the i and i said this in the discord when people were talking about uh Vigo's lovely speech he gave at the end of the the arc um this is one rare instance where i intended for the listeners to hate an npc and they <laughs> hated them um so so no the the reaction was expected and uh i mean you'll just see what 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 plays out with Vigo in the future
4: so can i ask a yeah an unrelated or a tangentially related but bigger than this art question. Yeah. Of all the NPCs you have created that were disliked, um which one was the most surprising to you that it was disliked? Elidrin, easily. Elendrin. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Barrick's dad from campaign 1. Um yeah. his, the the hatred that he gets I still find confounding at times. So anyway, yeah. moving on.
4: <laughs> Context <laughs> of that introduction probably had a lot to do with that one.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
4: Anyway, proceed.
2: Um, if you're if you're worried about campaign one spoilers, just skip through the last twenty seconds. No, nope, that's not going to help. I just like the idea of doing a spoiler warning after the spoiler. Seems funny. To me. I'm <laughs> wacky enough. that way. Um, uh, I mean, forget oh, the last cra- twenty seconds. I don't crazy Jeff. I don't think it was asked, but it was asked. There was a point because I mentioned it in the Discord. There was a point that I had to look away from the screen. Like I got. <laughs> Eric real. Was, <laughs> Eric was doing his thing, talking like a dummy or whatever. I don't really pay attention, but you no, know, when he said, and he said, I don't like your tone or watch your tone or something like that. Eric pointed into the camera <laughs> and I was looking at his screen and I had to walk away to preserve my actual friendship with real Eric, because that's a trigger <laughs> thing for me. He didn't know about, uh, he, he had no idea. Uh, but like the, Pointing in my face actually upsets me greatly, uh, regardless of context or, or person. Uh, I, I, th- I think if Ferris did it, I'd be fine. But um, so I like I really did. I was like, OK, this is I still like this yeah. game. <laughs> I
0: I had no idea what anybody's reaction in the moment was when I was throughout that entire spiel, because I was just look, looking straight down the lens of my camera. Um, so so, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a fun moment to play out.
4: Mm hmm. That was a good Um, one.
0: If in my head, when Hobbs sat down and started talking in the back of my head, I was going, what are you doing, Jeff? What? What are you? No,
2: don't do this. What? No, I don't want to do this. No. (laughs) And then ran with it. So Darren asks, can the campaign handle a falling out between the PCs and the Boromars or is working for them baked into the format of the game? Uh, This plays a bit into
0: campaign one, not in a spoiler sense, but just as a reference point. Um, I I have learned and grown a lot as a DM slash GM uh, since campaign one, and there were some, uh, I guess, some some sh- points of character involvement that were structurally integral to the campaign. Uh, to to put it a certain way, some characters were load bearing, and so if they're they were removed, <laughs> the the campaign couldn't really uh, continue the way that I foresaw it. Uh, nothing in this campaign is load bearing. This is totally modular. Uh, if if there's a huge falling out between the PCs and the Boromars, I have contingencies for that. If the Boromars and the PCs become more integrated with each other, I, I have plans for that. So, no, that I I would dare say the campaign can handle anything happening right now at this phase. Obviously, the further we get into it, the more that's going to be unlikely. But
2: yeah, <clears throat> and I have no idea what we're gonna like. It could go anywhere as far as I'm concerned, too. Like, you know what I mean? As a player, like all paths are viable, which is kind of fun.
0: But to answer <laughs> Dan's question directly, yes, the campaign could handle a falling out between them. Um, okay. D- uh, I would say at, at, at this phase, like up until this point, working for the Bormars was baked into the format of the campaign because we have to establish for sure. the world.
2: But yeah. Okay, so let's jump into talking about the reduced episode or downtime episode, as we call them, around the uh, microphones, I guess. It's not a table <laughs> anymore. It's several disparate tables. We are invited to a party at Saden Bormar's house, and it's something none of us have experienced before. Uh, Reynard does not prepare us properly <laughs> to, uh, to go there. But essentially, the downtime episode was us meeting some other people who work for the Boromars, all of whom were far more pleasant than our boss. Uh, well, <laughs> maybe not far more pleasant. The, uh, the scavenger lady that Reynard and Milo chatted with actually didn't seem the coolest, but everybody else was pretty great.
4: I mean, <laughs> is that her fault? Is that the way that conversation went her fault?
2: No, 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 no. Absolutely.
4: <laughs> At first,
2: it seemed like she was a problem. Be, but it turns out she made just seemed, really have a she problem. She
3: seemed really snooty and snobbish.
2: Uh huh. And then when it turned out that she didn't dislike you because you weren't an elf, or the or which is kind of what it seemed at first, or whatever, when it was clear that she thought you were a Boromar and has a problem with the family, I was like, oh well, that is a horse of a different color, isn't it? And then yeah, she became a much more sympathetic character as she got more annoyed at Reynard being drunker and drunker, <laughs> and nicer and nicer to Milo and Sauna. Yeah, and there's there's just. Um...
0: It every downtime episode kills me because there's there's so much in that party Mm -hmm. because every every group was fully fleshed out and has a full story to them. And so it just it it, there's so much left to to discover about all of the characters that were at that party, except for maybe Mira. You you
2: all have a pretty good beat on Mira.
4: I I absolutely absolutely could have
2: spent two more hours at that
4: party. Yes, I wanted to talk to you all of them. I'm starting to wonder
2: if this campaign doesn't become our quest to become socialized just so we can have a bunch of party episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: But yeah, I mean, uh, there were, I think, four total groups at that party and you all touched.
4: We touched uh, three, right? Three Mm of
0: them. Um, Skipped
4: the.
0: The Ravens you didn't talk to. Yeah,
2: we did the Peer Lads and the, by the way, are those names, the Goals and the Peer Lads and the Ravens, are those you or are those canon? Those are me. Okay. Yeah, like, everything I will what I, I think of them.
0: I'm <laughs> A lot everything of birds. Outside, <laughs> everything outside of Satan, Mala and Alira, uh the actual like Satan, his wife and his daughter. Right. Those are canonical. Everything else to that party was all all
1: okay. me.
2: So. Yeah. The, the the reason they call themselves the goals almost made me laugh. It's like what is yes. <laughs> like, it it's great because it works. It's dumb
0: because it works. Like it's <laughs> I'm not going to reveal how long I sat there trying to think of how 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 to get there, but uh, it's, it's long it's it's
4: longer than it should have been. So, um, next time we have an opportunity to introduce our, introduce our, ourselves, Eris is definitely going to call us the Sills. Just <laughs> like somewhere between.
2: Oh, but we did find out that we're black lamps, so that's something. Yep. Mm-hmm, um,
4: mm-hmm. Which are different
2: Uh, than Dark Lanterns, only in semantics.
4: Yep. (laughs) Uh, There was an arm wrestling contest that came Mm -hmm. to a draw. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Harris had had some awkward conversation, which can really just describe any time Harris has conversation, but with the Warforged who was trying to be nice.
2: Explain to those of your co-hosts who don't know what you meant – the part they gave away or whatever gave
4: up. So that. at the beginning of the last war, there were literally just five nations. Okay. So you have uh Kyre Brayland uh, Andere Karnath um Thaleost, Oh Thrain Thrain. Sorry. Um and as the war goes on and the main belligerents got exhausted um would it be fair to say colonial people, Eric? Um, yeah,
0: groups that had been subsumed by the larger nations.
4: Yeah, various um, separatist factions form, and towards the end of the war, uh, as the exhaustion, as the war exhaustion kicks in, there are a number of rebellions. So uh, Droem breaks away from Brayland uh, a few years before the war ends. Khyr, uh, uh, Z- Zalargo, becomes independent from Breland. Um, Kyre breaks in three with uh, the goblinoid mercenaries seizing control of Dargoon and the Valinar elf mercenaries seizing control of Valinar. And then, of course, Kyre itself is destroyed by the morning. Um, my background for Eris is that her family lived in the uh, southwestern portion of Kyre that was uh, eventually overrun by the Dargul Rebellion, um, and that is where Eris was was captured and became a thrall, um, uh, and spent the remainder of her of her childhood. So um, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed Eric giving me a moment to talk about Kyre because I haven't really gotten to yeah. it with Eris because she's been walking around in a Chiron flag for a long time and um, was. <laughs> Fun to get a moment to do that. But yeah, that was, so the, the reference there is, from Eris's perspective, because again, Eris does not have a nuanced perspective on a lot of things from Eris's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, the army should have come, should have come riding to the rescue and yeah. saved her and her family and didn't. And, you know, from a more nuanced, higher level perspective, there's a thousand different reasons for that, but it, you know, it doesn't matter to, to Eris. there are eight thousand different reasons for that
0: well and and saying that to a Chiron soldier especially it's like i i am a product of your failure um
4: yeah and and to clarify the people that Eris, i mean we didn't get a chance to discuss it because we needed desperately needed to move on with the episode but (laughs) um eris eris is really fascinated with warforged and um with house caneth in general and, and with all of their creations and finds the warforged really awesome Uh, And that's why she's really fascinated by sigil. Um, uh, And doesn't specifically so much blame the army as the government would be more clarity into her position.
2: Then we go. We see Satan. He offers us meat, and
4: (laughs) (laughs) that was was Satchel's worth. That was just so (laughs) funny. I don't know why it was so funny but that just killed me meat of uncomfortably
2: ambiguous provenance. I don't know. It's some animal the druids have.
4: <laughs> I've decided it's an oryx. Yeah. And he did say bovine.
2: So at least we know it's of that family. And he uh, explains to us that he basically he's like, yeah, I know Vigo sucks, but he's our guy that sucks. And now he's your boss. So do what he says. And if he's, if it gets too terrible, I guess let me know. Run it up the chain, but Yeah,
3: give him so, time yeah. to to groom him further.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's what it is. It's basically he's saying, We're gonna try to fix Vigo. Please bear with Vigo. Uh and then he says something pretty interesting to Milo, right, as we're heading out. Um, when he says, Hey, we're gonna talk about rebuilding soon, making you whole again, which is pretty rad.
4: We also got some level of, I, I would want to hesitate to say commitment. Uh, we got positive noises about getting something done about Sigil's apartment building. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. And I am going to, uh, one, one way or another, even if it's just background, Hob, I just forgot that Savia's on the city council. Hob would have actually yeah, absolutely said something to her. So that'll be a channel for it as well.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I, I forgot about that too.
2: Because I don't know that he has any sway at all with Savia. He is uh, compensated for a position, but I assume they have to like each other <laughs> at the very least. <laughs> so, um, yes, we I mean, did get that. There's got to be well. some kind
4: of trust. You're a bouncer at her club. So, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. So, all that to say, as far as the Vigo stuff, like, We don't know. We don't know. I would say. We don't know. (laughs) And I mean, the next, so so the first question is, uh, Eric, this is DV's Pop-Tart. Eric, I'm curious on your take on the pacing for the Vigo aftermath. If you're in your seat, your options were to have it addressed quickly or let it linger for another arc or so before giving Satan the chance to meet with the crew to address the concerns. What was the deciding factor to have that resolved in this downtime episode instead of one further down the line? He wanted for me to keep talking to him, so he. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, no, the reason the reason to have the meeting with the, with Satan was to to allow the party and the players to know that there are members within the organization that are supportive of them and their efforts. Because the danger of letting that scene with Vigo linger too long is making the characters and to some extent the players feel like they're operating within an organization that there's no future and there's no floor. And so they just kind of have it fall out from under them and it, it becomes potentially disengaging. I think we had a lot of moments. I We keep referencing it, even though we said in this campaign, we weren't. I, there were a lot of moments in campaign one where I wasn't cognizant to, to that and just kind of, had a whole lot of negativity that lingered for long stretches of time and so I wanted to not not totally balance things out because this is in no way resolved at all like this is an ongoing story in this campaign of the relationship between the party and Vigo and Satan and the rest of the family's role in, in that and so I don't want anybody to think that like this was putting a bow on that uh, on that scene with Vigo and like okay well uh, Satan took care of it Um, But that was the reason why I didn't have it linger For a while because the other thing to remember Is you all get our game Every week and get to engage With our game every week We do it once Every five to six weeks And so it feels a lot Longer for us between these
2: Arcs yeah, where I mean, There was a legit month between The Milo and Vigo, or the Hobbit Vigo conversation and the Satan proclamation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: so they had plenty of time to have it linger. And, and if I were say, hypothetically, let it linger for, for two arcs between reviews and downtimes and recording cold opens, we're looking at potentially close to three months before the players get any kind of resolution with that. And so that that's part of the reason for it is just a, a behind the scenes production reason uh, as well.
2: So, yep. Okay, Liz asks, are the players expecting any sort of repercussions from Vigo? Are you going to prepare in any way if he gets petty?
4: I assume that Vigo's response to receiving a dressing down from the head of his house is, those jerks got me in trouble. That seems to be exactly who he is. So I assume that he's going to come in next time irritated at us because he got in trouble.
2: Yeah, my guess is it's going to be several more interactions with Vigo before he realizes that middle management with uh, talented underlings whose main motivation is disliking them is not a safe place to be.
4: <laughs> uh, I, it's true, <clears throat> especially if you're going to continue to eat at our restaurant without any kind of security. I'll say that. <laughs> um, I,
2: and I. I, I didn't express this to Eric. I don't think maybe, maybe right before we did the reduced, like there was a part of me that was like, but he's our handler too. Like he's going to be in every arc now and he sucks this much. But I mean, I think that, yes, I'm expecting repercussions from Vigo. Yes, I think that we will be able to handle it until it turns sinister because he seems, I mean, you use the word petty. That's exactly what he is. He's going to. His repercussions are going to be something that would will make him feel better immediately, with no regard for how this is going to play in the long, ter- the long term. It seems. Because am I am I am I wrong, Eric? He's not qualified for this position, right? Like, he's a hothead born on third base. Jerk.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he doesn't have so so. Typically speaking, it would be somebody like Grum who had been in your all shoes and done this work, and eventually. Hit a place where they didn't want to be in the field anymore, and when then would become a handler. Mm-hmm. Whereas Vigo, it was much more: uh, you're a member of the family, and we need something for you to do. So,
2: as far as preparation for it, I, I don't know how we could. We're just gonna have to deal with what comes, and if it gets bad enough, I don't know. Knock him off a tall tower. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Eric wants to know. Have Kath and Sauna ever run into Vigo before in their work? And what are their thoughts on him?
0: Um, I mean, Kath and Sauna have been working for the clan for a long time. They were probably aware of Vigo well before he became Yarl's handler. And uh, their thoughts on him would be the same as anybody's thoughts on a person like that. <laughs> they don't like him much. like, um, uh, But they also understand that they're, especially now more so than ever... Uh, their gold comes from from his pockets essentially and um, they they have worked too long and too hard in this business to let their personal feelings get in the way of of their their safety and their livelihood so
3: that's exactly how milo was looking at it
2: <laughs> it's um I mean it's safe to assume we all had had some interactions with Vigo before this, right? I mean, because mm-hmm. he's around, and and I, we know that Hobbs been his bodyguard, so Airs probably met him. Or who knows? The wonderful thing about Vigo as a character, though,
0: and this is just uh, pulling the curtain back a little bit even further. Um, I made Vigo up on the spot, like when we were recording your cold open, and you mm. came up with the concept of what you want to do. As like, okay, I just have to create a really obnoxious nephew of the family, mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. He's become this this much bigger part of the campaign than I think I ever anticipated, which is is one wonderful feature of just tabletop role playing games in general. Is this character is now a vital part of the campaign? And when I was planning the campaign before we started, I did not have the name Vigo written
2: anywhere. Yeah, I bet so. you didn't plan on making him our boss right after you told us all he was a big racist, either, did you? You I, know, I'm interested to watch the scene you play with yourself, where where Sigil, uh, <laughs> Sigil and Vigo have to have a conversation (laughs) Danny asks is the car named after Tasha of cauldron and hideous laughter fame
4: boat um (laughs) yes there you go oh she she is I have decided that she is yes I I remember when
2: you came up with the name
4: Mm-hmm. yes you were cycling through yeah i ran through three or four yeah um, before landed on something that was just easy to say i think i landed on several things that i liked the sound of but we're just going to be obnoxious to <laughs> make everyone pronounce over and over again because that's Some usually my process trash.
2: this is garble <laughs> thor
4: no, <laughs> no <it's not. laughs> Gar- garble thor is going to be a thing now i'm going to build a garble thor <laughs> it's not garble thor name it dan can we move on <laughs> um Yes, and I have some thoughts on uh, who Tasha is, the original Tasha is, in Eris's mind. I have no idea who Tasha is. Well, I, I, Philip, have several ideas of who Tasha probably is in Eberron, uh, but I have no idea who Tasha is in the Eberron that Eric is the GM of. Um, But I have some thoughts as to who who Tasha is to Eris, which have not had any reason to come up. So I will leave that alone for now in case it does have an opportunity to come up.
2: <laughs> okay. Danny asks, this is for all four of us. I love this question, by the way. Good job, Danny. <laughs> Danny. Uh, she asks, I won't ask where, but which of these four protagonists see themselves in five years and which are struggling to see themselves <laughs> even next week. And I think she's talking about the characters, uh, not <laughs> being, uh, the players. <laughs> Cause I'll shoot straight. Feels like a toss up. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm reading this question right, she is asking Do any of us can, are are characters considering their futures or expecting to survive to see them? (laughs) Yeah, um, I would say Milo
3: is. I mean, Milo's making plans to rebuild, you know, he's been in the family. You know, involved with the family for several, several years. I mean, he just life goes
2: on for Milo. As long as Hobbes' immediate needs are met and nothing that he cares about is an imminent threat, he does not really consider the future much. Uh, He is a creature of the present. That's really it. I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't. He considers the future insofar as these are things that need doing. He does not get to the future in so forth. like he's not considering whether he's gonna one day be the handler. He's gonna move up in the Boromar Clan world, and
4: Grum's gone after, after an unfortunate accident.
2: Well, yeah, at, at, or 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 just you know, the continuing to fail up. It does happen. <laughs> it goes somewhere <sighs> else, and then you know, so he's that. That's not Hob. He's not on a track for anything.
4: I think Eris tends to not think very far ahead. Uh, I think that's fairly clear in her behavior, uh, that Eris doesn't put, doesn't think too many steps down the line. Um, I think she makes a number of assumptions about that. She'll be fine. Uh, but I don't think she has, I don't think she has long-term plans, um, in mind i mean made lots of jokes in the last arc about eris contemplating ways to murder vigo eris probably has several daydreams about ways to murder vigo and maybe even has some of them sketched out hilariously in her um in her workbook uh but has no like the daydream would not then contemplate what would the consequences be of vigo's murder well, I, I
0: love the idea that Eris is at that perfect cocktail of, like, late high school, early 20s mm-hmm. of, like, thinking you're going to live forever but having zero plans for what to do with that time.
4: Yeah. Like Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, you can do that well into your 30s. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: but, I mean, also, I, I, it's also true. And I, I've tried to play this. It's a little tricky to play this in a, a pulpy game. Eris is not brave. Um, Eris can be reckless, and Eris doesn't necessarily think about the consequences of her actions, but Eris is not brave. So, you know, yeah, Eris Eris might daydream all sorts of really elaborate and entirely plausible ways to cause the death of Vigo uh, to look like a a horrible, tragic accident. Um, But she's not Drakir she wouldn't then like take the next step of ah excellent now i've solved it let's do it
1: well as you can all imagine reynard just lives moment to moment um day by day what's the end goal drink of the by day? drink yep so <laughs> i mean of course there's the uh the daydreams and the hopes of rising to wealth again but there's no real plan to get there other than pickpocketing and and doing the jobs so okay and last two
2: questions are laura asks philip would you go into more detail about the decorations on eris's coat as per the wonderful artwork recently released and How- irene asks where does eris do her shopping is there an eberron equivalent to hot topic so philip if you would speak on <laughs> women's fashion for a moment please.
4: have we talked about the <laughs> wonderful art that we got to release
0: um ah, on an it's eberron been posted review on- I don't believe so. I believe it's just been posted on social media and in the Discord. Hmm. Um, yeah, we, we have a, a wonderful piece of art um, that is on the Facebook group, or, uh, I mean, it's kind of buried in the Discord at this point. Um, but that you all can go check out of our intrepid crew um, it, it, at a Sharn City Watch lineup, uh, having their their visage Recorded. so I
4: want to know the scenario of that because I'm imagining them bringing someone. And the person like, well, all of them, of course.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Typically, lineups are people who look similar, <laughs> meet some sort of descriptor.
0: <laughs> my my favorite about that is like I gave that description to the artist and then like sent them the rundown of all of their personalities. And obviously, I I gave a much more detailed description of the three NPCs than. Uh, than the listeners or even in some cases you all have have yet to uncover Mm -hmm. and i love that she had sana giving a thumbs up at a police
2: lineup (laughs) like just like yep we did it (laughs) so and just so we've said it the artist's name well i don't know her her name but she can be found on twitter and instagram at i believe it's enacola e-n-e-c-o-l-a uh she is the artist that made our piece and I'm sure I'm at her Twitter right now and I don't see our picture, but if you scroll down, I'm sure it's there and I know it's on her Instagram. So you can see Mm -hmm. it there as well. All right. So go Uh, ahead. And and her commissions are open. If you're looking for an artist to
4: do any work, there you go. And Jeff and I can express that she is extremely patient uh, and tolerant because Jeff and I had some very, very particular ideas about what our characters looked like. And uh she was, and Eric was, extremely uh patient and indulgent of our um the word I was gonna use. Specificity. Specificity. There we go. Sure. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah. Uh one of the last things that I um asked for in the cor- in the course of this was for her to add a bunch of patches to Eris's coat. Um, and so then of course, once she did that, I had to come up with what they all meant uh, because of course I did. Um, so as to going into a little more, de- I can go into a little more detail on some of them. Some of them I don't necessarily have or want to share all the detail of because kind of uh, what I've done is hung various aspects of things I've learned about Eris on some of these patches. Um, And so some of those things have not come out in the game, and so I don't necessarily want to go into uh, all of them. But um, uh, Laura, I, I got a little clarification from Laura. She was specifically asking about the... Um, The rainbow patch, so um, obviously the the rainbow patch would mean something different in Eberron. And so I started sort of contemplating what that would be. Uh, So I decided that rainbows are associated with the Traveler, who is the sovereign of change uh, and artifice and travel and deception. Um, And decided that to the degree that Eris prays, which is not much... Uh, it is directed at the Traveler uh, because the Traveler would certainly be the most relevant of the Sovereigns in Eris's um, difficult life. Uh, so when Eris awkwardly throws a prayer out, it's, t- it's directed at the Traveler. So that's why that. Um, one of the patches on her arms is the unit insignia of her father's army unit, the, which I have made up the name of the 4th Calazart Fusiliers. Uh, she has uh, epaulet buttons that have a for a chiron lieutenant's rank, and then I think the other one was uh Laura specifically asked about the unicorn. One of them I identified. I posted this under the Facebook post, so if you want to see a breakdown of all the patches, you can find it on our Facebook page under the in one of the comments there. Um, one of them is a rearing gold unicorn against a background of flames. Uh, I have not established what that one is associated with yet i just it sounded like something eris would like but essentially eris's whole garb and wardrobe is bought at either military surplus stores or whatever the eberron equivalent of hot topic is apparently there is one because eris definitely shops there um but i'll leave it to eric to come up with the eberron the sharn name for Mm -hmm. uh hot topic but yeah, um, there are other other patches. She's got a patch that's she's had made that's the insignia from Olfan's pirate flag from back when he was a pirate, and she has bits of armor from a um, a, a hobgoblin's armor from the war, and a patch for the Hounds of Balcon, her favorite band, uh, and a patch from the Sharn Red Cloaks, uh, which apparently she knows something about just based on that reduced episode, but we've not established in fiction how she knows that or what she knows about them. So I'll leave that alone until we've had a chance to establish something in fiction. So mostly a lot of this is not necessarily things where I have a lot of deep background on all of it. Some of it is associated with her father's service in the war, everything. Um, Eris's outfit is a mix of things she's owned since she was a kid, things she's bought, nicer things she's bought with a little bit of money that she makes. Um, or stuff she's bought at thrift shops and army surplus stores. Um, but yes, to to Irene's point, Eris would wear a nice dress and combat boots. I think Eris probably only owns one pair of shoes, and it's the big <laughs> tank boots that she wears. Um, yes, so that's...
0: And to just um, answer Irene's question quickly, um, it's fiendish, fiendish subjects
4: clothing accessories. Did you just make that up or was it something or did you find find something in Sharn because I know there's a ridiculous number of stuff out there. Just made it up. So lovely. (laughs) Fiendish subjects. That's of course outstanding. Writing it down. Well, now that we've gotten the
2: most important bit out of the way, I think we time (laughs) to close up the mailbag. Thank you guys. Do any of you have something? Any last missives or jabs at Eric? Anybody wants to take?
4: Yeah, please do. I um, thought Eric right? was wonderful, as, this arc. I, I really enjoyed the NPCs that we got to meet, and um, I want to interact with more of them. Um, yeah,
2: Eric's regularly wonderful. I totally I, agree. I agree. <laughs> it's just, I like making fun of him.
4: No, that's fine. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do too. I just thought this arc was a particularly good one for NPCs. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you.
0: None of them were in Norsen Millhatch, but, you know, still trying to chase that. None of
4: the names. (laughs) I mean, the name is really all that's selling it on Norsen. We haven't really met Norsen to enough of a degree to to say whether he's an interesting
1: person, but he's got a fabulous name. But I kissed him. That's true. That's (laughs) true.
2: If you would like to get involved more with the show. (laughs) What is wrong? <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> you can do so by joining our Discord, the link for which the easiest way to find the link is on our website, thegeekpantheon.com. We have a Facebook group. We have a Twitter handle. We have an Instagram presence. Uh, those are also all at the Geek Pantheon. If you like what we do and want to support us in one way, uh, you can do that on Patreon. Slash thegeekpantheon. Uh, we have tiers as low as $1 and up to i believe 45 dollars a month uh for various levels throughout including access to eric and philip's dms spell book which has tons of information including the eberron genesis port if you're interested in so with all that out of the way i would just like to take a moment to thank you all for listening we really do appreciate you and with that i am jeff i'm philip i'm trevor i'm randy
0: and i'm eric
4: (laughs) (laughs) because Jeff uh, had it with us
2: oh boy let's just take it with the Imes okay I'm Jeff
4: I'm Philip
1: I'm Trevor I'm Randy and I'm Eric see you next time <laughs> bye